From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 333. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and Text Expander from Smile. Happy New Year! My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. It's good to be here in a new year. Mm-hmm. Uh, good to be here. Good to start my year, because as we all know, mm-hmm. I start my week, my work week, with Upgrade. Me too. On Monday morning. Mm-hmm. What do you do for the rest of Monday? You work on Upgrade. I work Maybe. on Upgrade. That's the first thing okay. I do on a Monday. And then I do okay. other things. And then, All right. then like, work day 1B begins. And that's and that's that this. now. That's right, right now. Well, and I start my work week, which means now I have started my work year. And hello to all the listeners out there who are starting their listening year with us. This is the official opening, <laughs> know what I'm saying, of the upgrade listening This year. is why we have hashtag Snell Talk questions, so we can avoid what the hat just happened there. And this week's comes from Jared. Jared wants to know, Jason, for non-embargoed articles, so articles that do not require being published at a certain time, do you post as soon as you're ready, as soon as something's finished, or do you schedule all of your articles for specific times? A very inside baseball question, Jared. Thank you. Um, it varies. Mm-hmm. I would say generally I post them as soon as they're ready. The exceptions would be if it's something that I think needs another set of eyes, in which case I'll ask maybe Dan to look at it before I post it for a, a longer piece. Um, or... If it's outside of what I consider um, good posting time, so if I finish it and it's sort of like, this doesn't even happen as much. Generally, I just post it. Sometimes I'll I'll say, well, you know, I wrote this and it's late in the day and there's no reason to post it now that it's evening and, and nobody's paying attention anywhere to the east of me and I'll schedule it for the morning. But generally, I just think, well, why don't I just post it now? And then it shows up in everybody's feeds in the mor- you know, when they get up in the morning anyway. Yeah. Um, it used to be at IDG, we targeted a lot of stuff for the peak traffic time, which was, I think, 11 a.m. Pacific to Eastern, which is when every day when traffic peaked. And mm-hmm. I don't know why that that was the time, but I guess it was the time when we had the most people around the world that were reading and anyway it was it was a like let's catch the most traffic there i'm not really playing that game at six colors and i never really have um so i generally just auto post stuff it's it's, the other thing would be if is if there were like already a couple of things that had just gone up on the site i might push it back an hour or two or even to the next day figuring um I don't need to do two posts in one day. I can I can do this next post the next day or something like that. But it's pretty rare. Generally, when it goes up, it's the, not that I've I've written it right then necessarily, but I finished it right then and then I just press post. Right. That's, that's generally how I do it. I need that instant gratification. For podcasts, I pretty much, with very rare exceptions, just post them as soon as they're done. Right. Yeah. So like yeah. as soon as I'm edited, it, it goes up. I think the only podcast that I maybe it, where it's slightly different is maybe Cortex because the editing's different. Where, like, I edit and then I pass it over to Gray and he edits, and we just choose the day that we're going to publish it on, which is not normal. Right. But it's because it's like a, it's a different, um, it's a very different way of doing things. And then I kind well, of try and publish them like somewhere between like twelve and three my time because it kind of hits a lot of time zones, you know. Yeah, and and for me. Um, I have a bunch of podcasts that are 
have a very specific release day and time. And those obviously, those get, I don't, I'm not, you know, working up to the moment and then posting them live. Those all get scheduled in advance. So Robot, Robot or Not is scheduled in advance. Right. And Total Party Kill and Incomparable Game Show and all that's scheduled in advance. But Incomparable, unless I, unless I work on it well in advance, which is, which sometimes happens where I get somebody else to edit it for me or I edit it in advance. Um, but if I'm doing, if it's like Saturday or Sunday and I'm just editing the, that week's episode and posting it, I just post it when I, when I'm done. There's no there's no deadline day to hit there. But we just did come out of a period in the holiday uh, holiday period where some a lot of us were doing things in advance mm-hmm. in order to clear out some time in our schedules to not yeah. be working on podcasts. And that's another case where you kind of I, I kind of delight in going into the incomparable CMS and seeing all the stuff that's been queued up in advance, <laughs> um, just because it's kind of fun. It's like look at all those episodes that are all ready to go. But um, but generally especially for articles but generally it's sort of like well i did it now here it is <laughs> there's no holding yeah. bin or anything like that tony did remind me in the chat room that i've always done this with analog as well we publish analogs on sundays but our editor jim always does them way before but i just always publish a show on sundays so that's just one that, yeah. uh, uh, that i'll just do but i don't say yeah. I, i'm yeah. not i don't I think I spoke about this before, like you just mentioned with the incorporable CMS, you have it in six color CMS. We have a, a timed posting mechanism. We do. So you can say like, hey, post at this time. I never do it. I never, I never, I never use it. I, I like to like, do it myself. I like to just press the I, button. I, uh, I use that for all of the 20 Max for 2020 and double because there were two versions of them. For, yeah. for member and non-member and so i did use that feature and there's always a little bit of like mm, is this really gonna work because the way it's worded is you set it you set the status to published but it's in the future mm-hmm. and you're like is this really going to publish it or just publish it in the future and it publishes it in the future it works it's a perfectly good thing i i did it 40 times it works fine um but uh, i did use that feature and that was that was kind of fun again it was fun to to be like the previous week like yeah it's early on in the process it was sort of like i got three episodes loaded up <laughs> i could just walk away it was great thank you so much to jared for that great question if you would like to send in a question to help us start the show you can just send a tweet with the hashtag snow talk or use question mark snow talk in the relay fm members discord and you can help us open an episode of the show you mentioned 20 max of 2020 i just wanted to refer in follow-up that it is now done 20 max of 2020 was jason's wonderful series which has taken like 22 23 weeks to complete um because i think you took a couple of weeks off over holidays right so you have yeah uh, i I had two weeks to give so we broke between 11 and 10 and between six and five yeah a list of 20 notable Macintosh computers. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to the podcast version of it, which you can also, and there's also articles and videos and all that kind of stuff that are linked from that page as well. If you haven't checked it out, it's very worth checking out. It's a great series. And uh, congratulations for Thank having you. completed it, Jason. You got there. You Thank did you. it. It's nice to be done. And now, I, now begins the process of like, what do I do with all that time? How about uh, nothing for a while? And, like, just, well, just relax. Well, not a big project, but you know, I, I get I get some time back that I kind of lost once we got into the teeth of it, um, and and it became basically every week it got a little bit more intense mm-hmm. until the last four or five weeks. It was it was most of what I did during the week was just getting the next week done. Yeah. So I'm not gonna do I'm not gonna pick up another project and announce it this week or something like that. That's not gonna happen. But I do have this time back that I have to decide how to spend, and and that's part of. 
um, being an independent kind of worker is you have to figure out where to where to spend your time. And it's one of the reasons I did all those charts at the beginning of last year is I just decided I wanted a little bit of structure. And so I said, I'm going to do a little uh, chart post every Friday. And I did that up until the uh, 20 Max project kind of uh, launched. And then I, I didn't do it anymore because I, I was busy. So I, I'm uh, that's my next thing. I'm going to probably write a final, like, what was on the cutting room floor kind of piece to yeah. wrap it up this week. Yeah. Because I feel like I've got a bunch of other kind of loose ends that I can I can tie up. And, and there's one other follow-up. Somebody made a very interesting point on Twitter about the contents of my list that I'm not going to, I'm not going to relay here other than to say that I think that there's probably a, a piece to be written about that in specific that might be separate. But um, the pro- podcast project is, is finished. Although, as I say at the end of the podcast project, uh, you know, the lesson we've all learned, which is keep podcasts you listen yep. to, keep their feeds in your podcast player. Cause sometimes they come back. And if I do another project like this again, I'll just stick it in that same feed. So you can, you can keep it, keep it there kicking around. And I did do a lot of interviews. I'm not sure those interviews are releasable, but I'll consider that too. There might be bonuses and stuff down the road. So, but it's a fun project. I hope people enjoy it in whatever form they enjoyed it, video or audio or, or written word. Uh, I want to thank everybody um, who sent us in great messages about the Upgradies last week. I just wanted to mention, in case you hadn't checked it out, Upgradies.com has been updated with all of the winners. Um, I could imagine a lot of people wouldn't have gone to the website because you don't want to get spoiled. But if you want to see the Hall of Fame and every single winner of all of the Upgradies awards, uh, you can go to Upgradies.com. And thank you to Zach Knox for the work that Zach did in helping put that together. Yeah. So I have some headlines for you in Upstream. Uh, Upstream is where we take a look at what's going on in the world of streaming media and how it intersects with technology companies today. Uh, Warner Brothers, Jason, have announced that they are planning six new DC Universe movies a year starting in 2022. Uh, I think Warner Brothers Mm -hmm. got the memo. Uh, Four of these movies are planned to be in theaters. Two will be exclusive to HBO Max. They are also working on TV spinoffs of uh, their properties for HBO Max uh, from the movies. It's a little different. So one of the things that I find fascinating here is where Marvel has succeeded and where DC has succeeded. Because the DC superhero stuff has actually been quite successful on television, on especially, you know, on commercial television in the u.s on the 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 cw network primarily which is a joint venture of cbs and warner brothers so it makes sense that warner brothers would have their characters there and they had arrow which is now off the air but they had arrow which ran for like seven years or something and the flash and they have a whole bunch of other black lightning and and uh and star girl and there's a whole bunch of dc heroes that have been very successful there's a there's a superman show coming there's supergirl like there's lots and lots of is DC gotham one of those shows. gotham well. was on on fox actually right. but yes and they did a they did a a, a a pennyworth which was about the early days of alfred the butler when he worked in the, like the secret mm-hmm. uh service and military in in the uk and that was a stars series so they've had a bunch of tv projects kind of some of them directly connected, the ones produced by Greg Berlanti and airing on the CW, and a bunch of other ones that are sort of around. So that's a way where they've been very successful, and that Marvel's kind of not. Like, Marvel's tried a bunch of stuff, and they had their whole TV thing, which they've now folded, where they were producing stuff for Netflix and also for uh, cable and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is then that Marvel has... has What we're about to see this month is going to be when it starts. We're going to see 
the the WandaVision series, which is the first TV series yep. to be done by Marvel uh, Studios. So that's the movie people did not do the previous series, but are doing the uh, forthcoming series on Disney+. Plus. That's all from the same group, Kevin Feige's group, that does all the Marvel movies that everybody loves, not the separate uh, TV group. So that's an interesting challenge for Marvel that I'd say similar to the Star Wars challenge, which is um, can they successfully kind of add this Disney Plus streaming series product line? Because while there have been Marvel shows before, they were not uh, generally that successful. And those people uh, aren't making shows for them anymore. It's now back in the hands of the money, the money people, the people who generated all those expensive and popular movies. DC's challenge is very different where they've got the successful TV shows. So this announcement is more focused on movies, even though like two of them are going to be direct to streaming movies, which is kind of an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. And then the way they framed it is they're going to do TV spinoffs, like you said, from the movies that they're generating. So like they're viewing this six movies a year thing as which is a lots a lot of movies a as lot of movies as it as film releases you know that will also spin off um series and i i have some questions one of my questions is are these two non-theatrical hbo max direct dc movies are they movies are they pilots <laughs> Are they are like they TV specials? Like, yeah. Well, that, this is what I'm saying. Is I mean, who's going to be in them? It, but but is it going to be like we want? Because they've they've suggested it's going to be like, well, let's look at every movie we make. We're going to look at the the ancillary characters and decide if there's a TV show to be made about them, which is a weird decision to make. But I get what they're I get what they're saying there. But I do wonder if these two HBO Max movies that they're talking about are they really movies? It, is it more like a pilot for a series? Is it uh, something that they do, they get to the point where they're making them and then realize that they've got a cut that's four hours long and that they'd be better off releasing it as a two part, three part, four part series on HBO Max rather than as a movie. I think, I think there's some stuff to watch here about exactly what the right thing is, what people want to see. Cause, um, I'm curious, honestly, I'm really curious. Like, do people, do they get the most? bang out of their buck to make an HBO Max original movie that's two hours long and say, this month, this new movie is out. It features this DC Comics character. Yay! Or would they be better off spending that same amount of money and doing a six-hour miniseries featuring that character and say, for the next six weeks, this new series on HBO Max about this character... And I don't know. I don't know whether people feel overwhelmed by TV series, streaming TV series, and are like, just give me two hours and let me walk away. Maybe they do. So I'm fascinated because, you know, again, Marvel and DC, essentially in the same business, <laughs> have had very different fortunes with different kinds yep. of content. And it's one of those rare cases where if you're just kind of interested in the creative and business aspects of the entertainment industry, um, it's it's really interesting to compare and contrast what their strategies are. And there are a lot of unanswered questions about how people are going to want to subscribe to services and watch original content uh, in the future. So let's I, I'm I'm fascinated. Ultimately, obviously, everybody at Warner wants the DC stuff to be as successful as the Marvel stuff, because it hasn't been uh, at least in the film, you know, in, in the net amount of money that they make, Marvel has made a lot and DC and has not. Especially but critically. who knows going forward. Well, not even just the money. Cause some of the, some of the stuff they've sure. done has done really well, but critically 
most of their movies have actually not done well right. since they've been trying to turn it into a thing. Right. Really, the original Wonder Woman, and then you could argue that there, there, there have been a couple others that Joker. have also been well-received. Yeah, I've actually heard um, some great things about the Harley Quinn movie. Monty Ashley recommended it on the Incomparables Year in Review yep. show, which we just put out, which is really funny, and you should listen to it. Is that the Birds uh, of and, Prey and, one? Yeah, 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 that's it. That's it. The, the Birds of Prey, and I've seen it on some ten best lists for movie yeah. critics too for for twenty twenty. So um, they they have some, but it's not been like the Marvel stuff where it's just like set them up and knock them down. Every single one is profitable and and generally well thought of. And um, so yeah, anyway, they're they're they have a new plan. <laughs> yeah, one <laughs> at one Warner. quirk is that uh, Warner Brothers are not going to have one timeline like Marvel does. So right. they may create different shows and movies in different timelines from each other. Right. So they've got like they've got a movie in production with Robert Pattinson as as the Batman and a movie in production that will have as a as a supporting character Ben Affleck as Batman. Yeah. <laughs> so uh but but that's interesting except Marvel's next set of movies is all about embracing the multiverse. So Marvel's basically doing the same thing, which is yeah, yeah, it's I a lot easier that. if we can have parallel universes and we can tell different stories without having them all link Apparently up. So the, like yeah. The, yeah, I don't actually I don't want to spoil it, but in case people don't know, right? Like full media blackout and all that. But yes, and also Marvel have that what if series coming right, which, which is looks entirely fun. just speculative. That's an yeah. animated series. It's entirely speculative too. But so. you know, yeah, but, that's I think the key is like even though Marvel are starting to experiment in that space now, um, they have up until this point, you know, everything's been interconnected. Right. And, and, and the way they're doing it is they're, they're actually doing movies and TV series that sort of like push into this multiverse concept. Yeah. Um, and really you could argue that the time travel in uh, Avengers Endgame is what broke the seal on that for Marvel. Yeah. And, uh, and whereas that's still or, acknowledging even that they're, they're connected, right? If you do the multiverse right. thing, but that's, Ex that doesn't exactly. seem to be what Warner's doing. It, it seems like it's not, maybe they will at some point acknowledge yeah. some of that if it suits them, but more they're like with Joker, they're just feeling free to tell stories. And I gotta say, I prefer that approach. Um, there, there is a, there's a great deal of benefit to doing what Marvel did and rolling everything together. But I think creatively, you shouldn't not make a movie because it doesn't line up with your other movies. Right, um, right, there is, right. There's advantage in lining up all your movies and connecting them together. There, and Marvel has shown that, right? There's a lot of advantage in that. But it doesn't mean it's the only way. I wouldn't shy away from making that super weird Batman movie yep. just because you can't figure out how it connects to the rest of the universe. Because if it's a great movie, you should make it. And I think that was the argument that they made about Joker was that this is a movie that we want to make and it's going to be great. And... um. And uh, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But uh, it was not connected to anything, and that was fine. Yeah, I would suggest that maybe uh, Disney should look into that approach for Star Wars. Different. It's interesting. Universe, it's, different it's, timelines. It's a, it's a galaxy. Well, I think the the some of the Star Wars stuff that's coming up, it seems to seems to not be set in the same time as the Mandalorian. But this has been the argument for a long time, I think, um, when people look at Star Wars is you have a whole galaxy and apparently thousands <laughs> of years people. of history. <laughs> so not everything needs to take yeah. place in the same yeah. 15 years with the same set of interrelated characters. Yeah. That's kind of more what I mean, right? It's just like yeah. you, you have this infinite span, but everybody bumps into each other. 
they're apparently developing apologies for the star wars nerdery i'm not the person to be doing this but they're apparently developing a uh high republic series which is like basically the uh, like a thousand years before the star wars right. movies back when the it was still a galaxy with lots of good and bad people in it but the center think think star trek actually it was more like a center force that was mostly positive that was the the republic and then stories in that world and star wars has the mm-hmm. freedom to do that it would be nice to see them explore that as well the you know tell some different stories not everything needs to be the same 20 people who are all interrelated in every single thing Amazon has bought the podcast network and production company Wondery. The deal is suggested to total $300 million. Uh, Wondery will technically now be a part of Amazon Music, which there is a podcast offering for Amazon Music, kind of reminiscent of how Google started when Google Podcasts was originally part of Google Play Music or Spotify, right? That's what Spotify's doing. Silly me. That's a better example. Um, this is different to Audible's podcast offering because why not, right? Like, sure. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's yep. have different offerings. Um, Amazon have said that Wondery shows will be available through, quote, a variety of providers, but they hope this acquisition will, quote, accelerate the growth and evolution of podcasts by bringing creators, hosts, and immersive experiences to even more listeners across the globe. Uh, I wanted to include that because it's like the most ridiculous quote. It's like, it doesn't, this acquisition doesn't do that. You're not bringing Wondery shows to more people. Now it's a part of Amazon. Like it already had all the people, right? Wondery shows. Yeah. Finally, we've cracked all the charts. We have access to Amazon's little known and little used podcast. And if maybe they mean like, like Amazon echoes, (laughs) I don't know. know. It's, it's, there's there's corporate, there's synergy. Uh, Yeah, I guess. But you could listen to all these shows through various echo skills anyway. No, you don't understand. Like this is uh, providing some synergy where we're Ah. getting the, uh, the, uh, the leveraged uh, innovation of Amazon is combined Mm -hmm. with the immersive expansiveness of Wondery into a leveraged expansiveness. This was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> gonna happen wondery has been rumored to be shopping itself around for a while the founder is leaving hernan lopez is leaving which is intriguing it's not typically what you see um in situations like this but that was reported by i think the wall street journal uh there is like a whole separate story of lopez being incriminated in some fifa <laughs> allegations of is it bribery or match fixing or something which is like know. a whole other thing which is going on on the side uh, which is a really weird story, which Wondery could probably make an interesting show about at some point because that's the kind of shows they make. Wondery mm-hmm. is intriguing because they've been selling the rights to their properties to companies to make TV shows about them. So I know yes. Apple's bought a couple. So there is a hashtag synergy in uh, this because Amazon could take Prime the video. rights to all the popular shows and right. as you say put them on Prime yeah. Video. Yeah, you could argue that maybe this is a $300 cheap $300 investment in um develop hmm? 300 million. Oh, sorry. 300, I would buy it 300, for $300, $300 if that was available. <laughs> oh man. It's a it's a cheap $300 million investment in uh development for Amazon Prime Video except this is the except part. Except technically it's part of Amazon Music and I have one of those thoughts, which is, are they going to get, I think Jen Salke is the executive who's in charge of Prime Video. Like, if I were in her shoes, I would say, um, I want to be connected to what they're developing, right? Because yes, you you would start to think that a lot of this stuff would be um, essentially being developing, developing shows for Amazon Prime Video, but I don't know. 
I don't know how Amazon's structured. Maybe they don't view it that way. And they're like, no, it's totally independent. And we'll see who wants our shows. Prime video. Uh, I don't know. It's fascinating. But, you know, I, I, this is a, it's a big price, but Wondery are very, they are genuinely very successful. So, you know, if they launch a show, it goes to number one. Like any show that they launch yep. goes to number one. Um, it's a lot of shows about murder. Uh, which I'm not super into. Yeah, I was going to um, say it's a, there's a, there's the show where a cop murders people. There's the show where a cop gets murdered. There's, there's a show a where a cop investigates a doctor who and, murders people. Yeah. There's the show about a cop who investigates a doctor who gets murdered. There's a show about a doctor who investigates a cop. <laughs> okay, who might okay, be- okay. My theory is actually that they may have struggled through the pandemic. There was a lot of data that suggested uh, from the industry places that I was looking at that showed that. Um, listenership of these types of shows went down which makes sense this is all very dark and and dreary plus they these are the most mainstream shows and more mainstream type offerings were actually seeing uh reductions in listenership due to uh, commute differences and stuff Um, i would like to thank technology podcast audiences for not changing their habits you're the best and that's why we love you the best it was kind of funny so like i subscribed to one industry thing and it would show charts right of all the different categories that they were tracking and technology just continued (laughs) if anything it went (laughs) up it's like you know technology podcast listeners love their podcasts right that and other types of shows are more like i will listen to this because Sports saw the biggest drop, by the way, because there were no sports. So that was rough. But anyway, it's an interesting deal. Someone was going to pick them up, uh, and I guess it was just highest bidder. Like the rumor was Apple was looking at them. Spotify surely were as well, but it ended up being Amazon. Uh, According to the Wall Street Journal, Roku is looking to buy all of Quibi's content. Yay! <laughs> Why not, right? And they get it. The funny thing about this deal is, if it if it does go through, they'll get the rights, which is different. So, like, they will just own it. It's not licensing, but it makes sense because there is no more Equibi. So, right, they'll have all this content. There might be some IP in there. I think I saw a quote from someone suggesting that like this stuff might be more interesting if it's free. Hmm. I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe people will check it out. I don't know. We can all watch I the don't... Golden Arm thing. I my thought about it was always that there's a bunch of content out there that was professionally produced that a lot of people didn't see because it was on Quibi. Yeah. And therefore, surely it has some value, right? It's not going to just vanish forever. Surely yep. it has some value and somebody will pay enough. I mean, somebody's got to buy it. It, it. Presumably they've got creditors and stuff like somebody's going to buy it. So yep. if it's Roku, then so be it. But that, that stuff will get out there and we'll all get to see that, uh, you know, the horror uh, show about the different states of the, like the first whatever 10 states u.s states <laughs> but not the rest star which is uh disney plus's hulu etc is launching on february the 23rd in the uk i got an email about it while i was writing upstream today um they explicitly mentioned parental controls in this email which i thought was really funny because it's it's you know stuff like family guy um 24 uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's not just stuff that Fox made. It's also stuff that was on Hulu as well. So I'm intrigued to see what the full content offering will be, but it's coming uh, on February 23rd in the UK. I don't know about elsewhere, but this is just what I received in my inbox today. Yeah, no, it's good. You're going to get a chance to see. There's a lot of stuff that yeah. is not uh, widely available 
because it's uh, in this separate stream that's there sort of originals. stuff that came from Fox and yeah, oh yeah, that that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten. So I'm excited to check mm-hmm. in it, checking out what's what's available. Yeah, report back on that to to upstream. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace because they will let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. It's a new year. I'm sure everybody is bubbling with ideas for things that they want to to work on. If you have a project, it needs a website. I'm telling you Squarespace is where you should go because they provide an all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade, and they give you all of the functionality that you're looking for. You can register a unique domain name, take advantage of award-winning templates, and so much more. Squarespace have all of the functionality that you're looking for for the website you want to build. If you want to build a blog, if you want to build a portfolio, a site for a virtual event that you're planning, maybe you want to build an online store to sell that digital or physical good that you know you want to make a thing this year. Squarespace has all of this functionality and they have an award-winning 24-7 customer support team. So if you need any help, they have people on hand that can help you. What I love about Squarespace is how accessible it is, not just on the web, but also on my iPad. Like I can go on my iPad now and I can change the layout of my website. I can change fonts, all that kind of stuff. I really love that. I have the ability to not just update the content, but also update the layout wherever I am, whatever tools I have with me. You can go and try out Squarespace for yourself today, right now, by going to squarespace.com slash upgrade. This is a no credit card required trial, so you can go in, you can build your entire website. And then when you want to launch it to the world, their plans start at just $12 a month. So go and check it out today and use the offer code upgrade at checkout and you will get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. That is squarespace.com slash upgrade and the code upgrade for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So it is a new year, and you do a thing like many people do, and you make predictions. You write Macworld columns every year, where I, I just saw you publish these. You had your 2021 predictions, but also yep. you published an article, which I really appreciate that you do this, where you grade yourself. For t- it, your it's true and let me let me give you a little peek behind the curtain there which is when you write i write uh 40 Macworld columns a year mm-hmm. so that's 40 unique takes on what's going on in the apple world for a thousand words ish almost every week i skip one week a month and i've been doing this now mike Guess what? <laughs> I've been doing this for almost six years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that Macworld column is coming up six years um, in a couple months. So when you get an idea for something you can repeat every year and it takes three columns to do it all, mm-hmm. you you do it. You grab hold of that because that's three that's column free. ideas I don't yeah. have to have. And so it's, it's the iPhone and iPad predictions, the Mac predictions, and then uh, grading my previous year predictions, which is only fair. It's kind of fun to see what I uh, got right and what I got wrong. Um, and my predictions are mixed in with wish casting. I'm not, I'm, you know, and knowing what the rumors say, it's not, you know, necessarily the, the fairest kind of set of predictions because it's, it's a combination of, you know, what I would expect as an observer, uh, what we know, uh, from the rumor mill and also what I kind of like what I want to see. And it's all kind of swirled in there together. And again, you know, it's nice and calm, gentlemanly. There's no uh, random point scoring assigned. But I wanted right. to go it's through. It's very much in, in the uh, spirit of upgrade. 
Because I think it's fun to look back on where we thought we were going to be. Uh, and yeah. it was very fun to me to read through. I actually ended up going through and reading the old prediction articles instead of just reading your grading because I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure there weren't any real clunkers that you didn't, yeah. you know. Make sure that I, I didn't steer there. away from the ones that were really bad. Yeah, uh-huh. sure. That's smart. So, That's smart. Readers can, so you, I link to them all. Readers exactly. can always check up on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, in fact, you can click, keep clicking back and you'll eventually get to the beginning of time when I did my first prediction about the universe. So in the Mac column, uh, new laptop keyboards on more Macs was something that you predicted at the beginning of 2020, and you were definitely right there. Yeah, although I I I, I expressed some skepticism. I was despairing about the the MacBook Air. I thought Apple cared yes. so little about the MacBook Air that it it might not even bother updating the keyboard on that one. Because a year ago there was a real question about whether Apple felt it had it had fixed the problem mm-hmm. with the butterfly keyboard and and that the it might reserve the magic keyboard for the pro models which would turned out to be not true which i guess now in hindsight they didn't think it fixed it it was a temporary it was uh, purely fix temporary. while they yep. while they immediately replaced all of the keyboards and all of the models so the macbook air well i mean i really missed on the macbook air because yep. i was despairing that the macbook air would get much of apple's attention and instead not only did it get the keyboard but it got updated twice in yeah, 2020 two significant <laughs> updates in 2020 i think it got more than that i think there might have been two uh, versions of the fixed key- keyboard one i think uh, they did another but like yeah mm. you were like oh the macbook is dead and then they did they not only changed the keyboard over and basically created a new version of the product with the retina screen yeah. they then made it one of the best macs ever made at the end of the year yeah, so i i just i figured that since in, in in 2018 they did the retina macbook air i figured that they would think well it, it's good enough now we can sort of leave it here for a little while until the arm transition maybe um, but they didn't. They updated it with that new keyboard right so away. What am I thinking of then? Didn't they make a new version of the product itself? They, well, was that in 2018? Am I, am I uh, conflating it with something else? The they, Retina version was in 2018, and then they speed right. bumped that in 19, and then they did another one in 20. Yes, um, which had with the, the new keyboard, keyboard and other and stuff. then they did the M1. So right. there was a lot more than you you would think from the air. So I, I, I missed on that. I, I mentioned it as a strong possibility that the air would get the new keyboard, but you can see it in my article. I, I just sort of despair about it. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I think I, I think this is too much wish casting, mm-hmm. too much wishful thinking that they would clear that keyboard out. I just really felt like Apple was going to continue inflicting that keyboard on us yep. for more time. Because uh, keep in mind, that was where they had announced a laptop with a good keyboard and all other laptops still had the bad keyboard. And we were all sort of saying, well, why... Why did you do that? Why did you just do the one? But early on in 2020, they they swept away the other ones. One prediction that you made, which looking back, like I am so surprised that you made it. You were right, but I don't think many people will agree would have agreed with you at the beginning of 2020 that there would not be a 14 inch MacBook Pro in 2020 like there was yeah. the 16 inch in 2019 i was really one i'm surprised that apple didn't do this still and uh, <laughs> i i am surprised that you made that prediction that was bold yeah i don't even know what i was thinking then honestly i don't i don't know what i was thinking I, because I think... all of the stars aligned to suggest right that that was going to happen right the 16 inch had been updated then touched the 13 it seemed like it was obvious that they were going to do it but they didn't i feel like this is um this it's a combination of things here. One is a li- it's like a version of my argument about Apple pricing 
where you know you you take out take the price you want it to be and then increase it and then round it up and that's the actual Apple price. Mm. I feel like a little bit like that. Like if you expect Apple to do everything, you're going to be disappointed because they aren't going to do everything. And the fact that they they did the 16, but didn't change the 13, I thought maybe sent a little bit of a message. And then also my rationale there was also. The big laptop getting bigger makes more sense than the small laptop getting bigger. Um, and we may yet see that for, I think I may have predicted it, the 14 inch we'll uh, MacBook Air on. coming now that we've got the, the MacBook Air where it is, the 14 inch Pro could be coming. But part of my rationale there was that if you look at the iPad Pro, they didn't, you know, they, 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 they did different things for the different models based on their size. and they made you know they reduced the bezels on the big one i don't know so so i put all that in the blender and i just thought they're going to disappoint us about a 14 inch macbook pro and i was right so some of it is just you know you get you 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 get a feeling and you get a little lucky there's always there's always going to be a product that everybody anticipates that apple doesn't actually ship right and i felt like the that 14 inch macbook pro was prime for being the disappointment and it turned out it was i i did get that one well, you were dis- disappointed in the inverse with your prediction of a new iMac design. Yeah, well, this is like <laughs> like the arm transition, mm-hmm. <laughs> something that I have predicted multiple years yeah. in a row and it hasn't yeah, yeah, happened yeah. yet. And well, the, the lesson there is just iMac, keep on predicting right? it. And there was a quite robust But there was not a new, new iMac, iMac design. But not and a the new, new design. iMac design, like you you and I talked about a new Mac I, iMac design like we, oh, in nineteen. And, I mean, I'm, and, I was right here with you, Jason. This is yeah. like the thing that I would also continue to predict predict every year forever because it seems Cause, so right? obvious. Because it's that design has been there so long, yeah. and it feels like it's so obvious that they would do it. And you know, we may yet get that new iMac design, but not in twenty twenty. That didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> more stable Mac OS focused on improving existing features. Well. I think this was the, again, I think everyone would agree with you, but I think this was the biggest, at least in this uh, column, miss, right? Because if there was one thing macOS was not this year, it was just a, hey, we're going to fix existing so, like issues. I'm going to split the difference here and say, I actually stand by my opinion that uh, that I mentioned in my review of Big Sur, which is Catalina was the bad cop. Big Sur is the good cop. Yep. Big Sur broke a lot less than Catalina did. Yeah. Big Sur has some changes in it. It had some issues, but like I hear people talking about going to Big Sur. People were talking about not upgrading to Catalina for a very long time. So in that way, I would say, and I also think this summer's beta period was a lot less uh, traumatic (laughs) than the beta period was in 19 i think the 20 beta period was better that said even though i think technically it was less weird they had this whole other layer on top of it which is this incredibly ambitious redesign of the operating system and i certainly didn't see that coming yeah i mean no nobody did (laughs) right like no one was oh yeah they're gonna completely re-overhaul the design uh and and that's going to be that anyway. Um, you did reference Catalyst a bit. Uh, you suggested there would be improvements to Catalyst, which is definitely a case. Yeah, that was a tough one. 
uh, but you said that there'd be no improvements <laughs> to Apple's Catalyst apps, and I just wonder if what you think about that because I think there were some, and they did oh, yeah. brand new ones. That, that is that's the big one to me is not that there were dramatic improvements they did fix the like data input on the home app and stuff but the messages being the best example in maps like they 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 got catalyst better enough that the new catalyst apps they did are i would say mac class in a way that the previous catalyst apps weren't yeah I, again, I will reference this. We've had people. I've had people try and tell me uh, all of the things that was bad about messages on Big Sur. I think after I mentioned this on last week's episode, but I, I mentioned stand it. By, I, I, we both I, yeah. spoke about it. But I still stand by the points that we made, which is I don't think you could tell most of so the time. I what we did not say last week is that messages on Big Sur is flawless. Uh-huh. But I and I I stand by this. It is vastly superior to what we had on Catalina. Yes. That old messages app that didn't bad. support all these features and was super buggy and bad. Like do not pay, do not try to sell me that messages on Catalina was some refined app mm-hmm. that was part of the golden age of the Mac and now it's been thrown in the bin and we get this lousy version. No, the old version of messages was bad and they didn't fix it for and it years. Had been bad for a long time. It, it wasn't it, just bad. I cannot Catalina. tell you how many times I typed a message to the wrong person yep. because I clicked on a person, began to type and it just changed to another tab. <laughs> like so bad mm-hmm. and and although messages on big sur is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination is it better than what we had on catalina yeah yeah it is by a lot and obviously you made the prediction that you would be making forever and finally you got it uh the arm transition would yeah begin. that's right you keep it if 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 something's inevitable and you keep predicting it eventually you'll be right <laughs> but but in your predictions article, you reference a lot a low-end laptop, yeah, which never exist, which didn't exist. But again, well, we were talking about this low-end well, laptop until like a week before they announced it. Okay, so I, I'm going to push back a little bit because low-end laptop and not specifying, I think, meant I was open to the 12-inch MacBook, but it was mm-hmm. possible it was the MacBook Air. Turns out they also did the MacBook Pro and a Mac Mini, so <laughs> okay. But like we were talking about. The return, we, I think it was a pick in the draft for that event was that they would bring back the Mac. Sure. Like it was definitely something we thought was going to be the case. But part of the prediction game is, is being vague enough that you can get a lot of possibilities uh, and accrue them to you. And I think the idea there was that ARM processors are really good in laptops, especially Mm -hmm. if you can't ramp them up in terms of the processor power, you can start on the low end. And so I, I would argue that the, the MacBook Air choice the m1 macbook air qualifies because it's apple's low-end laptop however they also did a macbook pro so yeah yeah and i i personally still think it's possible that something could occupy the macbook space again i, I, I don't i don't I, think that i that do too it's gone forever i do too there are a lot of people who are very quick to to say that apple's never going to do never going to bring back the 12-inch macbook i would i i think there's still a possibility like why not why not do Apple is so obsessed with thin and light laptops. And although the MacBook Air is beloved, um, we know that you can make a thinner, lighter laptop because we've seen the 12 inch MacBook and yep. imagine an M1 12 inch MacBook for Pete's sake. Mm-hmm. That would be great. So, uh, and they already have the design more or less. They got to just fix the keyboard. So I don't know. I think it's still possible. It, uh, it, it may not happen, but I think it's still possible. 
So your iPhone iPad picks, you said that the iPhones would not be exciting and there would be no redesign. And I just wonder what you think Whoop. about that. Because redesign a miss. means many things. So do you nope. feel like uh, what what they did is more than you were expecting from yes, a design Yes, absolutely. Okay. I thought that this would be a... Uh, I thought 2020 would be a year where they would just let it ride and push. The pace of, of change on the iPhone was so great. Uh, where they put in the 10 and then they experimented with the 10 R and then, you know, that they were doing all this stuff. And I thought they would not, they would bypass this year in terms of making it a visual refresh uh, because they were making so many models. The rumors were already out at that point that they would be making multiple models. So I, I didn't think that they could do that and do a complete refresh at the same time and totally missed it because they absolutely did. And I'm glad they did. But yeah, I got that one completely wrong. So while you did accurately predict that there would be an iPhone SE with new internals in the case of the 8, you thought that that meant there would be no small iPhone, new small iPhone. Alas, they did five phones in one year. Go figure that. And you did think they would. They did five phones in one year, and four of them have a completely new, well, recycled from the five, but Mm -hmm. completely new design on the exterior, like in a pandemic, which I didn't know about when I wrote that. It's just, I mean, it, it, if you it, did, that would have been really mean. It, to not that share would be that. a heck of a prediction. Mm-hmm. It is a, I think, uh, a testament to just how impressive Apple's iPhone machinery is. Yeah. That they did five new iPhones, did a refreshed visual design, and did it during, in the circumstances that we were in in 2020. Yeah, I obviously I've been like all of us reflecting on the year a lot. Been doing a lot of stuff that looks back on the year. I think we will in history, like further down the line, look back at 2020 as one of Apple's best years in history. Because take the pandemic away, they had an amazing year product-wise, right? The iPhones, they did five of them. I think they're really great. They've definitely made a lot of people feel happy. Stuff in the middle is like an S year or whatever. But then everything we saw about the M1 Max, right? And how that's potentially going to change the future of computing again because of the capabilities there. Like, But but then when you add the pandemic in and they managed to do all of it, it's kind of astounding, really, what they managed to pull off. Um, the iPhone line you predicted would be the 12, the 12 Max, the 12 Pro, 12 Pro Max. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that they would take on the cheaper side, they would they would make a big a big phone and a small phone. Yeah. Like where the small phone is the same size, <laughs> like right, like just like the the top of the line. I thought mm-hmm. they would just do pro, you know, pro and pro max and twelve and twelve max. Yeah, and they, that's not what happened. Yeah, so there was no twelve max. That's the product that's missing, right? Which is a bigger iPhone twelve, which is the same right. size as the iPhone twelve right. pro max. Sh- shows you there's more room for more iPhones in the future too, because I think yep. that they could make a lower cost two camera, you know, kind of like the iPhone eleven. Um, bigger model um, and have that in their product line too and they just yeah. don't yeah yeah because I mean I do st- it is weird that like if you want a bigger phone you have to get the most expensive phone and that doesn't necessarily track it doesn't yeah. have to be that one um, and you predicted that the phones would start at 649 which they kind of do Kinda. I mean, Kinda. I, I I got that. I didn't know that the mini would be what it was, but I did. I did figure there'd be some aggressiveness in price. I, I you know, it's it's in the ballpark. Yep. On the iPad, you predicted a smart <laughs> keyboard <laughs> with more traditional keys and cursor support. So, 
Bravo I did. to you, I guess. And l- let me tell you, that was a real wish casting kind of choice. It's like, it I was. really want this to happen, but it totally happened. It felt happened. obvious to me and you, right? As you bridge did. keyboard users. Yes. But the rumor that came out about this product, so the information had a report about it, that came out like two or three weeks before the Magic Keyboard for iPad came out. So like, there was only a rumor of this product for a very short period of time. Yep. And but you you called it earlier than everyone because it was something that we both desperately wanted to exist. I'll I'll take the win on this. I think yeah. um I think so they added the accessibility cursor support in 2019, right? So that's out there and we're thinking, "Oh, 2020, fall 2020, we'll get a cursor maybe." And that's the part that I didn't predict correctly because it happened in the spring. They did it midstream as part of the iOS 13 uh, development cycle. Blah. So I, I I missed that one a little bit, but I'm going to take the win that we got the product that was kind of my wish casting product. It actually came true. We did not get an SD card slot no. on an iPad Pro, though. No, so, we didn't you know. get that. Uh, on iOS and iPadOS, you suggested slowdown for stability, upgrades to shortcuts, improvements to Safari. I just mailed that one in, didn't I? I mean, aren't there always? But there, w- but like, yeah. I mean, but the things that they did do were not on the face of it huge. Yeah. No. Right. I think that's true, and I think after the tumultuous summer of nineteen, that the iOS development in in the summer of twenty was a little bit calmer too. So, but I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a lot of. Uh, of big predictions to make there. That's I find that predicting iOS or really OS features in general very hard because harder. the truth is, yeah, we, we've we've left the era where there are obvious gaping holes in the feature set. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being a menu of a thousand different things that they could do, and they pick forty or mm-hmm. twenty or whatever they pick, and they literally how do you predict that? Because that's entirely based on the whims of the people at Apple to decide what they think would make a great feature or dovetails with some hardware. So I find it very hard to predict some of the specific stuff where they're like, Oh, this time we're going to do, finally we're going to do multi-user FaceTime right when they did that. And I was like, okay, you could have done that literally at any point in the last eight years, but I guess it's the year now, like very hard to predict that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I would say you did pretty well, Jason. You're proud of yourself there. I think I think I I think I did okay. I I I it was better than I thought. That that um smart keyboard with uh yeah with real keys and stuff. That one was a uh, dream come true. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's okay. And again, uh finally the arm tr- transition. You pick it long enough, eventually it'll be true. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Text Expander from our great friends over at Smile. Get ahead of your productivity for the new year with the power of Text Expander. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most to you. You can say goodbye to repetitive text entry, to spelling and message errors, and to trying to remember that perfect thing to say every time. Because when you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a couple of keystrokes. It's better than copy and paste, scripts, templates, because Text 
expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things that you're typing while still customizing and personalizing your messages. And if you work in a team, you can use TextExpander as a team. So you're also benefiting from the knowledge and the experience of all of the people that you work with. The people who are best at writing things to be shared within your company and outside, they can be in charge of updating the TextExpander. And that means that you've always got that right information at hand. You've always got that perfect thing to say. The tried and tested methods, they're all there and stored in TextExpander. And that is how I get my work done. I'm very happy and very pleased to be a team user here at RelayFM because we get to share our knowledge as a group. It's fantastic. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. Take your time back in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander. Upgrade listeners get 20% of their first year. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander today. Go there now. You won't regret it. Our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. So you also made a selection of predictions for 2021 and i've broke down and pulled out a couple of those from your articles and we'll start with the mac and you're doubling down on new imac here it comes again why not i mean it's a new year so yeah new year new same old prediction Uh like if not now then when i guess there are rumors to suggest this actually might happen this time but i just will reference everything that i've previously said on the subject over the entire run of upgrade which is the iMac design has not appreciably changed in a very long time. We're coming up on a decade. And really, if you think about it, it's since 2007, but then it got a little bit thinner a few years later. But really, it is done looking face face on right yep. at the screen very little has changed i mean all and then they of released this time. a whole new product based on it that except for the color also looks exactly the same the imac pro exactly so i feel like if you look at like the the bezels are a good example like mm-hmm. think about the macbook air and like the macbook air had those huge bezels and like modern computers we have done a lot to shrink the display technology allows us to shrink the bezels to make a smaller, either a bigger screen in the same space or a smaller space uh, outside the screen. And so the whole device just contracts a little yep. bit. That's what a modern computer looks like. The iMac has this enormous bezel and then the enormous chin below I it. like the size of an Apple Watch. They're massive. Exactly. <laughs> Every TV that I own has a tiny bezel now. <laughs> so, like, it, it seems clear to me that Apple needs to refresh the iMac. It is it is literally based on design decisions made in the early 2010s. So it's got, if not now, then when? And mm-hmm. the rumors about a new design of a new M1 or at least Apple Silicon iMac make me see this scenario, which is they're going to get rid of the smaller, the 21.5 inch iMac. And they're going to replace it with something that's got a larger display, but also with the shrunken in bezels. Maybe they're going to do the other things that they could do in that design, like upgrade the camera. Could we maybe see they a uh, a face ID kind of thing at that face point? Face ID, I would love, and they should do, because you're never going to get Touch ID on an iMac. It's, it's too weird. So I hope that they do Face ID. Right. They really should. But they cannot be let off if they do not upgrade the cameras in all of their new designs now. Like No. There's no way out of this now. You barely got away with it with the laptops. Yeah. 
their only excuse with the other ones is that it's literally the same design. Yeah. But if you're going to design a new iMac that's going to take you through the 2020s, I think it's got to have that sensor stack from iOS on it, right? Mm-hmm. That does Face ID. It's got it's got to have that. Why would you not do that? A much better forward-facing camera and sensors so you can do Face ID. You've got the your whole Apple Silicon technology there. You roll in a Mac OS update that supports Face ID. Like, it makes so much sense to do that. Um, and then, you know, there are lots of rumors about dis- the display technology improving. And it'll be interesting to see how they approach cooling since they're going to have Apple Silicon. And so, therefore, their cooling needs are probably less than uh, than they were under Intel. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Um, and then, I-, I guess the other prediction there is that, although I, I think the easiest bet is that it's going to be familiar in some other ways it's still going to be on a foot and and sit on a on a desk that i would hope that they would consider some other approaches including the famous you know microsoft uh, surface studio kind of thing where you might have a but that's supposing there's a touchscreen not necessarily because it could be uh apple pencil and no touch that's actually a possibility is oh that they yeah would allow they would okay. allow Apple Pencil support, but not uh, conventional touch, and they would pitch it as being this thing that is really about, like, for artists and all of that. Mm-hmm. Whether that's in a different iMac, or they don't bother to do that, or whether there's... Maybe maybe it's going to be like the Pro Display XDR, and there's, like, the standard stand, and then there's, like, the special stand that does pivoting and things That'd like that. Cool. I don't know. That makes sense. I, I have a hard time... I mean, I think officially my prediction is that they're not going to do that, and they're just going to do... It, it, you know they'll change things about the iMac but it'll still be sitting on a on a foot on a desk um because although i think i would because i would really love for them to do something more radical apple uh generally doesn't do more radical it's not they're they're they apple has a profound conservatism in their product design especially on the mac you also predict that the iMac Pro is no more. I think we've been talking yeah. about this for a while but i think it's a good one to just put the stake in the ground for that was a one and done yeah, I mean, they time. could. What we said was, it's a marketing decision. They could, they could say that there's an iMac Pro or a Pro model of the iMac. They could do that, yeah. but in the end, the 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 distinction of the iMac Pro was it had Xeon processors. It was going to be the replacement for the Mac Pro, which is no longer going to be replaced. And that they'd be better off just waiting and doing high end iMacs with more power and mm-hmm. making those available and you can just call them iMacs you don't need to call them iMac Pro um, if they wanted to they could take the lower level iMac and call it iMac and then bring out a, a, a big iMac and call it iMac Pro and then they wouldn't have to use the uh, size of the display to differentiate them and if they wanted to do that they could but again that's a marketing decision I don't yeah. think it changes the computer at all and I don't think there's going to be a third completely discrete iMac with completely different internals that's the iMac Pro I just think that that time has passed it's it's you know do they brand a high-end iMac as an I, uh, iMac Pro I think not but they could they if could. they wanted to but it won't be a substan- substantially different computer I don't think that's going to yeah. happen it's basically the way to tell it is are Apple making an iMac that's supposed to be the fastest computer that they make? Because that's what the iMac Pro was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and and no. that's not going to be the case because the nope. Mac Pro exists. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, on the MacBook Pro, Apple Silicon in both, which seems obvious. But now, now you're making the 14-inch prediction. Yeah, I am. Why? I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> Apple Silicon. <laughs> Uh, it seems like it's time. Yeah. I got over my disappointment of last year where they're like, they're not going to give it to you yet. And it's like, okay, now they're going to give it to you. Like, this seems like, I, I'm torn on this one. I, I think that the rumors are so strong that I think we have to go with it. Um, 
but uh, my guess is that they're going to try very hard to not make the the laptop actually much larger and it's going to be like with the 16 they're really the goal here is to put a new screen in that'll be slightly larger so they'll be able to call it a 14 instead of a 13 but that in reality it's going to be um you know the the biggest benefit that it's going to have is that it will differentiate itself from the 13 so we won't have two separate 13-inch MacBook Pros because that's dumb. Um, you know, two port and four port. So on that level, you know, they're differentiating between the four, the 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 high end 13 and the low end 13 by making that high end 13 a 14. Um, now we have a little bit clearer differentiation between product A, product B, and product C. Um, yeah. And I, I that makes sense. And you do it when you go to Apple Silicon. Makes sense. Power wise. There right. might not be that much difference between like the air and this. Well, I feel like there has to be. I think that's, I feel like one of the great questions of 21 that we're all going to be pondering this year is what's the next phase for Apple Silicon's rollout? Because I could argue that the new low end iMac uses an M1, right? Like mm-hmm. that's enough. Mm-hmm. An M1 iMac is fine. Mm-hmm. A M1. Four port, you know, fourteen inch MacBook Pro. You could do it, but like, I I think I have a question of like, is there an interim step where there's a variant of the chip that's faster than the M1 we've seen now, mm-hmm. or does Apple hold off on releasing every high end Mac model until the fall when they do an M2, and the M2 right. is the more high test. Uh, processor for the high-end systems. And if I had to guess, I think I made this prediction. I, I, if I had to guess, uh, I would say I'm, I'm going to bet on us being disappointed again, which is any Macs in the first half of the year that you see are going to be using that same M1 that we've already seen. And that if you want the higher-end, faster Apple Silicon Macs that everybody's sort of like, well, if this isn't fast enough for you, just wait. I think they're going to make us wait until the fall, and then there'll be M2 Macs, and the M2 Macs will be faster than the M1 Macs. And I don't think they're going to take the M2 Macs, or the M2s, and stif- st- uh, stuff them in the MacBook Air, right? I don't think that's going to happen. I think the MacBook Air is just going to have the M1 for a little while. Could be wrong, but, you know, that's part of predicting. So that that that's my gut feeling, is that... If you get something in the early part of the year, it's just, I mean, just the M1 is amazing, but it's just going to be an M1. And then, and then they're saving themselves for that next chip that's got more power that they can stick further up in the product line. You also predicted incremental Mac OS updates again this year. I feel like this year you're probably going to be, yeah, right? <laughs> I feel please. Like, gonna, please. What, what else are they going to do? Um, and a new display. I did it. Yeah. I, I, okay. Display. Uh, sorry, this isn't the Accidental Tech Podcast, which is a podcast largely about Displays. Uh, Apple's display strategy. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I will say this. I know that I was at the event where Apple said to uh, Neele from The Verge that I was there. I was like two feet away from him when this happened, I think. They're like, we're out of the display business, right? Like uh-huh. they said it. And they, because they had, you know, other third-party displays everywhere. And then they did the Pro Display XDR. It's like, well, that's an interesting. I look at our our little Apple nerd market and ponder Apple's overall marketing strategy, which is like like, take, like iPhone cases, right? 
why does Apple make iPhone cases? Anybody can make an iPhone case. The answer is because Apples are more expensive and they throw off profit. And a lot of people just buy the Apple case when they buy the Apple stuff because it's from Apple and it's in the Apple store online or in person. And so they just buy it and it's more money for Apple. Like all of these accessories that Apple makes for its products, they make them not because there isn't a robust accessory market, but because some people will pay the premium price to get the Apple product for convenience or for the brand or whatever the reason is. That's why Apple makes these products. I have a hard time looking at the monitor market, which is not well served right now for external monitors, for things like the, that Mac Mini or for the new laptops that they, they put out. Mm. It's, it's very difficult to find anything that's really very good. It's a very weird state where, where Apple's sort of missing. The, the, market, the monitor market is not really well aligned with Apple. And Apple has had these great displays on the iMac and they just have not made a standalone display. So I roll those things together. I consider that there are also rumors out there about a new like mini Mac pro coming down the road in a year or two. And the, you know, reaction people have to the M one Macs and not being able to hook them up to a, a really great monitor and Apple working on some new monitor technology that uh to put in some of their uh their Macs that is not something we've seen before and i just roll this all together and i think i feel like maybe it's it's all like why would they not do it now we said this before and they didn't do it but it feels like you're gonna you're gonna create an apple monitor it's gonna work with all of your products it's gonna be to your standards you're gonna you're gonna charge a premium for it so it's gonna be a very profitable product and you can sell one to like everybody who buys a, a a Mac Mini, and a lot of people who buy laptops, and like I don't know. I just I feel like it's worth making the prediction because there are so many reasons that Apple should do it. If I were at Apple, I'd say let's do it. Like if I were at Apple, I would point at um, at this market and say, you know, do you understand? Especially if we're strategizing to make another Mac Pro model at some point here, do you understand how much Pro, you know, let's estimate how many of those are going to buy the Apple display along with it. And what's our profit on each one? And like, we're giving away money to LG mm-hmm. here. Uh, don't do it. And they're not going to buy the XDR. Like they're, they're, they're not going to buy the XDR. Not everybody is crazy enough to buy the $5,000 monitor. Um, so I don't I like, know. I know too many people that own that monitor now. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense. I like, I get it. It's beautiful. I get it. But it, if I, it's a five, six thousand dollar monitor really no don't think that i understand why people don't like the lg monitors like i have the lg ergo one i was talking about recently i i love it it's great i don't know i don't know what i'm not seeing i well so they could be better and the like i've got a 4k ultra fine here and you know the usb and thunderbolt ports on the back just go out sometimes and you have to unplug the monitor and plug mm. it back in i mean it's just it's not great but it's one of those things where there's no like it's been years now and it's not like everybody who's really into apple products has focused on a monitor and said yeah this is the one to get there's like one it also is telling right that it's not like everybody else in the monitor market went ooh all these mac people want a good monitor we'll make one and we'll make some money by selling it to them that also kind of hasn't happened right so this sure. seems like a good place for apple to be in there and basically say this is largely like the lg monitor but we did some apple stuff and it's six hundred dollars more 
<laughs> and sell a bunch of them and make a lot of money. So that's, you know, that's that's my prediction. It's it's definitely mixed in with a little bit of wish casting, but I am a believer that Tim Cook's Apple does not in the end want to leave all that money on the table. I mean, I have assumed like all of us that they will do it. Uh it seems obvious. They just haven't. They just haven't iPhone and iPad. On the iPhone, you predict they will go to the 13 number. This is something we've spoken about before. 13 is unlucky in some cultures, um, but maybe they're just going to do it. They did iOS 13, so there was no problem there. Uh, Same design with new colors, possibly a smaller notch. Uh, The new camera sensor stabilization to appear in a smaller phone and Touch ID coming back. Yeah, this is just, you know, it's a synthesis of some of the rumors we've seen and what I think seems realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm once again saying they're not going to change the the shape of it. I think they changed the shape of it. So they're going to vary it. There'll be new colors. They'll do that. The smaller notch, there are some rumors about that. It, it, that That is, I think, one of the places where there is a real hardware benefit to be gained. We've largely had that same true depth uh, sensor stack since mm-hmm. the 10. And this might be a place where, like, where what's the next generation one that's just way smaller and that makes that notch almost invisible? There's some rumors to that effect. I think that makes sense, right? I, I, I have to think that Apple knows the notch isn't great. Like, we've all gotten used to it, but, like, they don't want it there. That's It's like a little imperfection in yep. their beautiful thing. Like, they don't want it there. So they're not every year going to make it a little bit smaller, but I would not be surprised if there is a true depth to that is dramatically smaller, maybe not non-existent, but close to it, that allows them to reclaim that kind of most of the perfect display from the notch part. Um, And then I think, I'm just betting on the idea now that the Pro Max is going to get some features that we don't see elsewhere, and then they will slowly trickle down. So like the sensor stabilization is a good example of that, that, you know, they'll it'll be in the Pro Max and the next year it'll be in the Pro. <laughs> Something like that. I think that's un- not unreasonable. And I do think that um, they will have the time to get that Touch ID sensor in at least at least some models, if not all models, the one as a on supplement the to Face ID for people who are wearing masks. Yes, this is the question. Do you think there will be a, a uh, Touch ID sensor in the iPad, or do you think they're going to go to an underscreen thing? In the iPad? So oh. it's the one that's in... I mean, I mean on the iPhone, right? So oh. the, on the iPhone, the oh, Touch ID sensor... Do I think it's going to be like, like the iPad thing? Yeah, my, or underscreen. My bet is that it'll be in the button, mm-hmm. because the button is already technology Apple has designed mm-hmm. and it frees them up to not have to be limited in what they do on their display and mm-hmm. under their display in order to do a sensor. Cause I think that there's probably, I, this is just a guess, but, yeah. but if they've already got the button, you can use the button and then you don't have this mandatory. Cause like, think back to like, uh, like 3d touch, mm-hmm. right? There are things you have to do to engineer on the display in order to do this mandatory feature. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't have to do that, that frees you up to not yep. have that technology attached to your display in that area. So that's just, I mean, they invented the button, right? They did the my button. They got the button. Use the button. for the underscreen one. I agree with what you're saying completely. My only pitch for the underscreen one, like if they can get it to work and get it to work in a way they're happy with, the story for why it's there is easier to tell, which is like, look how amazing this is, right? Which is 
I know other companies have been doing it, but whatever this is Apple will do. Be like, oh, we we brought Touch ID back because we worked out this incredible new technology, right? Like, it's not a button like you've seen in other places. Look at this; it's under the screen. You know, sure. You just you just put your thumb on the screen and you're ready to go, right? And it would be great if they could do that. But I understand. I, I understand completely if, what you're if saying. If it was. If it was the only authentication method, I think I might agree with you, yeah. but I think they're going to soft pedal this as, and if you're in a situation where face ID doesn't work, like when you're wearing a mask, just touch the button yep. and like do it like that, where it's yep. like, it's really a secondary authentication method. It's a fallback. It's for when you're in the grocery store wearing a mask and, uh, and, and th- there's a question like, well, what about mask wearing? Do you really build an iPhone for mask wearing when we've already sort of had the pandemic and hopefully it will be done by then? And I would say there are lots of places where mask wearing is common. I think there will be more of them now uh after this era (laughs) so um but it was already an issue in in asia where there were people wearing masks Mm -hmm. and i would also say all the other people who didn't like face id because there are um you know they've got i don't know what other other things obscuring their face but they can reach out with their finger like there are reasons to do a secondary authentication so i think they'll do it but because it's secondary i think that they won't need to make a big deal out of it and say look at this shiny whizzy new way we did touch id under the screen Mm-hmm. That's my guess. Uh, for the iPad, better performance than the 2020 iPad and display improvements. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the rumors are out there that they're going to do some new display tech on the iPad. And the iPad, you know, Apple's got OLED in all of their iPhones, but OLED on an iPad has proven, I, I think, to be very expensive and difficult. And there are rumors that they're trying some new very you know these these new led technologies that mm-hmm. make for better contrast without it being like full-on oled um and that seems like a direction for the ipad right for the ipad pro yep. like improved display is a is a pro feature that makes sense and better performance sure i i fully expect that it's easy to make predictions like this but they didn't do it last time so this time i'm going to say essentially the m1 the iPad version of the M1, which will be the A14X in an iPad Pro, and it'll do M1 basically performance. And think about that. That'll be uh, pretty amazing. For iOS and iPadOS, the new home screen stuff, so widgets on the home screen, app library. Yeah, they'll maybe. figure it out. They'll figure uh, it out. They'll do, do an iPad version of that at least, an iPad take on it. It'll probably be different from the iPhone, but something that's more expansive than what they did uh, this year. Uh, that there will be uh, some work to be done on the cross-platformness of iOS apps. Yeah, I, right. I think I think that that's one of the things that they're pushing forward there is they want to really build up Swift this UI iPad to Mac mm-hmm. flow, and so more that they can do there is possible. We had a question in in the uh, in the chat room about iPad Pro price increase. I think we mentioned this on a previous show. I didn't predict it in my column, which although I probably should have, is like, yes, I do. I think the Mm. existence of the iPad Air with a lot of those Pro features probably means that the iPad Pro is going to be more expensive. I just remembered one thing that I just wanted to just say for the record's sake. Uh, I think that the iPhone will get a higher higher refresh rate display. I think that would be one of the things that it gets. I thought about making that prediction i don't think i did um i do think that it's very possible especially on the pro models pro motion on the on the pro sure and also uh that there will likely be a smaller year over year uh for user features for ios i think that 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 seems like a a pretty pretty solid pick as well yeah i just they've got a lot going on right now yeah and they rolled out a bunch of stuff and and maybe this is also wish casting but i feel like this would be a really good year for Apple to spend its 
its development cycles, fixing bugs, tightening integration, improving the technologies that it's trying to push along, whether it's Catalyst or Swift UI, mm -hmm. getting, you know, whatever they need to do for new Apple Silicon Macs, which ends up being software features that get pulled out of what we can think of as the traditional software cycle because they're coupled to hardware instead of being coupled to the annual release. But it's still it's still work, right? It's still work for them to do that stuff. And there's going to be a lot of that. There are going to be a lot of new Apple Silicon Macs. So I feel like across their platforms, this would be a really good year to like focus in on some of the details and get everything kind of like moving along and not like, I just don't think they need a bombshell release. I feel like they've had a, a couple of really dramatic years and it would be good for them to calm it down a little bit. I do think that the main feature of iOS 15, 15 will be uh, more user customization features. Yeah, I think that that's a good pick. And I, I, I think that that can be simple, right? Like in what right. is required of developers and of Apple. Yep. Um, to in theory i mean to do stuff like that um and i've been meaning to know. write a, a column about this and maybe i will at some point depends on what ideas i have for my macworld columns the idea that um well i did write a, a version of this actually for macworld last year which is um there are ways for apple to do it a user customization that are not giving people as much control as they want which is a very apple thing to do where they could do things like have themes where you know we knew uh, themes that are available that let you choose your color theme and they offer like five different themes and they basically tell all developers if you want to support this make five different icons these are the themes these are the colors go <laughs> right so it's not like free form you can have any color and you can have it's more like no apple has prescribed the ways you can personalize your phone choose your personalization among these five options which is again not actually personalization but uh it, i wouldn't put it past them to be regimented like that rather than having it be completely freeform. But I think you're right. They're going to take the lesson from the what what spurred development of uh, or adoption of iOS 14. So uh, you made your predictions. Uh, Ming-Chi Kuo has made his. This is an article <laughs> that came out. Uh, just Yeah, but he's, he's not basing it on uh, nonsense. He's basing it on his actual sources in the supply mm -hmm. chain. Super quick article, really, like the things that actually came out. Um, but I think they are worth mentioning. Uh, so AirTags still on track yep. for 2021. Uh, I say on track, uh, on deck is probably a better phrase because right. I mean the track of that product is gosh knows what. Yeah, if you've been predicting AirTags for a few years, you, yeah. you might get it right eventually. Apple's first quote AR device, completely unspecified, yeah. but saying they'll have one. Now, what I wanted to this is something that came up when we did our uh, year in review for connected which was that uh -huh. Ming-Chi Kuo had a report in January and one of the things that Kuo reported was that Apple would make a charging mat which everyone thought was air power but ended up being MagSafe. Right. I wanted to mention that as a way of like Apple's first AR device could be something but not glasses. Yeah so I right? have I have a theory Okay. Which is that this is an AR developer kit for WWDC. Mm. Everybody knows Apple's going to do an AR product. Everybody knows it. But one way, because you're like, how are they going to do an AR device? And do they really want to sell a consumer device that's kind of clunky and not ready to go? Or do they really have an AR, AR glasses ready to go? Maybe they do. But I do think that because he's so unspecific here, 
that one possibility is that registered Apple developers can sign up to spend, I don't know what amount of money to get a developer kit for AR that is very much like their developer kit for Apple Silicon, which is it's not the final tech that will be used in the product, but it will let you start developing AR experiences for when Apple does. And they might even say, uh, you know, it's a great way to to do AR development for the iPhone. But really, everybody knows what it is, which is there is an AR product coming, but this isn't it. Um, And that would be a big step for Apple in the sense that it would be acknowledging that it's doing an AR product. But I feel like they are they have basically already done that since Tim Cook talks up AR and says it's an area of intense interest, et cetera, et cetera. And that might be a way for them to dip their their uh, their toe in the water here a little bit but who knows maybe it's just a cardboard frame for your iphone (laughs) (laughs) oh that would be so sad uh it's i completely agree with you that i think they've got to start i mean then they've started like there was stuff from wwdc even this year right of like that map thing where you could you know apple's got to start i think i don't think that they should their first entry into ar should be something you strap to your face Right. Like, and we've been seeing them do more and more, but I think they've got to still do little things first before going that that heavy. Like, I like the idea personally that they'll have some device that you'll use at home that's different. Right. right? Like, like more like a VR headset than an AR headset, honestly, like an Oculus Quest, because I just think it's a big jump from there being nothing to me supposed to wear an iPhone on my face all the time, well, right? It's let me, a lot. So, um, so I got an Oculus Quest. I think I mentioned that in the upgradees. Quest 2. Yep. And it has an AR mode, which yep. is black and white, but it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant, especially as a, somebody who used the PSVR, which doesn't have that and it's not good. Um, you double, you can, you, there's a feature you turn on, you double tap on the side and you can see, or if you leave the like AR area, it t- toggles into this mode. It's using cameras on the device to show you what's around you. And, you know, Apple has the technology to build that product, right? Apple could build that product today that is based on the iPhone it's got iPhone cameras. It's got uh, all the the sensors that are needed. Many, if not most of which, are already in the iPhone. So Apple making an AR headset mm-hmm. like the Oculus Quest that's based on all their iPhone tech and runs iPhone apps so that you can do VR games, but also you can put it in an AR mode where you're you're seeing the world through the iPhone camera, which is pretty good, and an overlay on top of it, which is not... Technically, I guess is that AR if it's a if it's a VR headset with that's piping in reality <laughs> and then overlaying it. I, I would say it's arguable. I'm sure there's a name for it uh, that in VR and AR circles, but it's like AR inside VR. But it's called MR. Um, okay, mediated mixed, reality, mi- mixed reality, mixed reality. Okay, so it's mixed reality where yep. it's it's taking reality and mixing it with uh, VR and then putting it in front of you. So Microsoft's could they do th- HoloLens was technically a mixed reality ah, headset. All right. So you're not seeing like the world with an overlay. You're seeing a VR view of the world with an overlay. Yeah. Apple could do that, mm-hmm. right? Like Apple could have done that years ago. I, is that a product Apple wants to do? I don't know. But I, I look at the Oculus Quest and I think maybe they could do that like they could if they wanted to if they thought the software was there if they thought the tech was good they could absolutely make a product like that because they've got all the pieces Mm -hmm. and 
it, that would be weird. I mean, you wouldn't want to wear that around like the world, but you could wear it in your house and sometimes be in VR mode and sometimes be in AR mode. Um, that could also be the developer kit, right? Like you yes. could argue whether if you didn't want that to be a consumer product, you could you could be, you know, it's like, well, the developer kit's just for in the house, but <laughs> we'll do we'll do a, a, a lightweight one eventually because most people don't want to strap an iPhone, you know, headset thing yeah. to their face, which is what these VR headsets are. So I think I think it's really interesting because I didn't think there'd be any AR stuff in 2021 this feels the ar still feels like something that i can't believe apple is actually going to do but i think they're going to do it so maybe it is this year that would be um that'd be interesting that'd be fun you know we're going to talk about this a lot probably over the next couple of years but like this is like you know i've said it before and i'll keep saying it they've got to tiptoe into this because the potential risk on humanity for us having computers in front of our eyes all the time, I think is really, really high. Like I, I get quite nervous about that thought. So if they're going to do this and they want it to work, I think it's got to be very slow, very slow. Um, a, a listener, listener in the chat says that uh, that XR is uh, is also a term that is thrown around for this mixed Extreme reality. Extreme reality. It's the most. But it's good. That's uh, yeah. I'm fascinated Cross by it. I, I, again, maybe. my first my first moment with that on the Quest Two, I was like, "Oh, this is great!" Because it's like that moment where you're like, it, it was almost an Apple like moment. I have to say, where where you step outside of where you're supposed to be, and suddenly you see the world mm-hmm. while you're wearing your VR headset. And I was like, "Oh, like this is so good, right?" Yeah. So you're not going to trip over the dog mm-hmm. when you're on your way to get the thing that you need to get, and then step back into the into the play area like it's super smart so if you did that at a high quality i think that would be really good so anyway uh quo also thinks new airpods i mean that seems fair right like some updates to the why not AirPods line surely. yes never never bet again i see i i this is this is what i need to do next year to get a fourth column out of this Wearables, <laughs> is man. add in add in uh, predictions for the other stuff because i just didn't predict any of these things you have no apple watch predictions no no wearables no i did i I just have not bothered with that Mm -hmm. but i might need to roll them in because again nobody ever um went broke uh betting on more airpods from apple it's just such a successful category for them that that they will i don't know what it'll be i don't i don't care what it'll be (laughs) they will do more of them because it's a it's a hit for them airpods are are a hit for them in all of their forms so whether it's new brand new fourth product in the line or it's just updates to the individual ones they're going to keep pushing on airpods mm-hmm. bank it and then something we've spoken about in this episode and quote was mentioned a bunch of times more apple silicon max obviously yeah. first devices with mini led that almost yeah. seems obviously at this point mm-hmm. yeah i think so it's just a matter of when and the details, right? It's always it's always what the details are. And and that's the if I had a number one thing that I'm looking forward to in 2021 from Apple, it's what the Apple Silicon Mac rollout strategy is for everything that we've already said on this episode. When do the chips change? What do they chip change do the chips change soon or do they not? And we just get more M1 Macs, which will feel to some people like a disappointment, which is wrong because the M1 Macs are amazing. And if you could get an M1 Mac and an iMac, you'd be very, very happy. I think I would buy one. So yeah, um, 
when when do the chips change when do the different models roll out and what models don't we see how, and how do the models change like all that's wrapped up in the max in 2021 but like it's it's this air of mystery that we've not had with the mac before where it's pretty much just like what iteration will happen on the ex- existing models and it's a little more uh and we also knew like the intel roadmap and stuff like that now it's just it's all this mystery of what apple will do so it's uh, gonna be fun this episode of Upgrade is brought to you by the Upgradians, who are Upgrade Plus members. Us! Well, and us, I guess. Uh, if you no longer want to hear ads on this show whilst also getting extra content, Upgrade Plus is for you. It's just $5 a month or $50 a year, and you get loads of other great benefits. So not only do you get the Upgrade Plus feed, which includes longer episodes of the show with no ads, you also get access to our annual bonus crossover content at Relay FM. Uh, which includes extra monthly shows like Backstage and Fusion, which are these fun crossover events. You also get access to our wonderful Relay FM members Discord community, which is a bustling community of all of the different topics that we have here at Relay FM, plus our really awesome live stream chat, which is where the, I think the vast majority of all of our live uh, chat happens now is in the Relay FM members Discord and so much more. Like maybe you want some beautiful wallpapers of your Relay FM favorite shows. You can get all of that as well when you become a member of Upgrade Plus. We've been really enjoying creating the additional content for Upgrade Plus subscribers. It lets us share what's going on behind the scenes of the show and things that we're up to. And we also get deep on some nerdy topics. Uh, We also talk about media stuff that we like there as well. Basically, if you like Upgrade, if you love Upgrade, you're going to really love Upgrade Plus. So get this and so much more by becoming a member today. Go to getupgradeplus.com and you can sign up for either our $5 a month or $50 a year plan. So that's getupgradeplus.com. Thank you so much if you sign up. Let's finish off today's episode with some hashtag ask upgrade questions. JD asks, do you have bootcamp installed on your Intel Macs? Uh, yes, I do. I have. I don't think I've ever done it. I have Windows 10 installed on my iMac. Right. And the idea there is there have been some games. It's been a while since I booted into it, honestly. But there are some games that I have played that are Windows only. And so I have booted into Bootcamp for them. It's essentially a game thing. And I don't use it very often. But like I played Life is Strange in there at one point for The Incomparable. And like every now and then there's a game that somebody recommends to me and it sounds pretty good but it's only on windows or it's windows in a console i don't have and and uh i'm not i'm not gonna miss doing it when if if i do go to apple silicon mm-hmm. i i on on the desktop here at some point and it, and it's not compatible i'm not gonna miss it too much but i do have it and uh and occasionally we'll go there Josh asks, do you think Apple will take cues from the iPad and iPhone line with the Mac and keep older M1 Macs around when they eventually update them to the M2? So, like, for example, you can still buy, say, the iPhone 11? Can you still buy the 11? There are old iPhones that you can still buy, right? Yes. Could you imagine that Apple will keep, then, say, like, the current MacBook Air around when it updates to a different MacBook Air so, processor. Uh, here, here's what I will say. I don't think Apple is going to make two MacBook Airs. Probably. Well, huh, probably. We don't know. This is part of the great mystery. I do think what will happen, to answer the first part of this, I think, which is I do think Apple's going to roll out M2 
that's not going to go to the M1 low-end systems, right? So you're going to end up with Macs with M2 and Macs with M1. Mm-hmm. I don't think everything's going to get the M2. I think like the MacBook Air that got the M1 is going to sit there for a while. And then eventually it'll get an update. And will it get an update to the M2 or will it get up an update to like an M1X or something like that? But I think Apple is going to be able to like target their different chips and sort of bring them along as the as the product line advances, but that they're going to target different parts of the product line with different versions of the chips, especially at the beginning here. Rather than having, here's the M2 and there's eight variations of it that go in these eight systems, it'll be more like, here's the M2 and these Macs have the M2 and these other Macs still have the M1 and we're done. Would they make an M1, an M2, let's say, or whatever, MacBook Air, and still sell the M1 MacBook Air. I want to say no, but my only hesitation is it's possible that that would be a way that they could make a more expensive and less expensive version of the Air and differentiate them or some other product too, whatever you want to put in there. I'm just using the Air as an example. I think it's it's possible because you're going to start i would say with intel apple sells different models with different chips and different speeds and now it's supplying its own chips so is it possible that the base macbook air stays on the m1 but there is a a higher end configuration that uses a faster processor and we look at it and say, oh, basically, they're still selling the old one. And now there's also a new one, but it starts at $1299. Or the new one is $1099, but the old one is $899. I think those are all possible. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that they may uh, experiment with that, um, especially when they're trying to push the prices down and create more differentiation. Because they're not like, they don't have Intel with a supplier where they can get like a whole bunch of different variations of Intel processors and use those to vary their product line. They got to vary it themselves um, if they if they choose to vary their product line. And that would be one way they, one way they could do it. So I think they might experiment with that. But, um, and it might be confusing. <laughs> and we might end up having to say like, well, there are two MacBook Airs now. There's the 2020 Mac M1 MacBook Air, which is now $899, but there's also the 2021 M2 MacBook Air, but that's the high-end configuration. It's messy, but in the end, if Apple just like just says like there are two MacBook Airs, low end, high end, they don't need to specify. The nerds will know, but they don't necessarily there's the M1 version and then there's the for more money, here's the more expensive, uh, faster M2 version. Take your pick. They could do that. So I don't know. I don't know. They got lots of options here. It's what what they want to do. And that's what I'm looking forward to in 2021. Ryan asks, when using a trackpad, do you use natural or unnatural scrolling? Oh, man. This again? I feel like this is a question from like five years ago. Yeah, we got but... asked these things every now and then. We got to open the wounds back up. Well, just so as a recap, at some point, Apple changed the direction of scrolling in Mac OS. And they made the new version <laughs> natural, which, <laughs> which makes is hilarious. Sense. The name makes sense. It makes sense. I it think. does, but it's also hilarious because they, they yes. in that moment, redefined how all scrolling on the Mac had worked from Correct. time immemorial to be and unnatural. And if you weren't willing to change, you were unnatural. Yeah, that's, that's the funny thing. Right. And, it, and, and what the difference is, is a metaphor because it's, are you touching the item on the screen and moving it downward when you scroll your fingers downward? Or are you moving the 
interface of the screen when you move your fingers downward, which means the content flows upward. <sighs> the answer is I use natural scrolling. I, yeah. I changed immediately. Uh, it may, I use a trackpad, so it really makes sense for the trackpad because it's the same gesture as an iOS, which is why they changed it. And there's a hilarious bug in web views in, I, in iOS and iPadOS that I find on the Magic Keyboard often where I'll open a web view inside an app and I'll start to scroll and it does the scrolling backward. Oh. And it makes me laugh every time. Um, but it's there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's unnatural scrolling is happening now and it makes me ill. So no, I, I embraced natural scrolling immediately and have never looked back. Uh, sorry to John Syracuse. I don't know how anyone could use the old version of scrolling now. It just, it seems so logical to me with the iOS devices. I mean, they do work in that natural way yeah. because it makes yeah, sense. The, the then Mac... you would just get used to it being one way. It, it, Having two different ways to yeah. scroll now is weird to me. Well, the idea was that you were scrolling. I, this is why they changed it. But the idea was you're scrolling the interface. You're scrolling the scroll bar. And you move the scroll bar up by moving. The, like, again, yeah, it yeah. made sense in the context, but it doesn't make sense when Apple changes all interfaces to be basically direct interaction. Think of moving the piece of paper that is your web page or your Google Doc or whatever. Mm-hmm. Once you do that, which you have to do for something like an iPhone, once you start thinking of it that way, you flipped it around. And that's the predominant interface approach today. So you got to do it. But um, I, I feel for all the unnatural scrollers out there. I really do. By the way, we didn't mention this in follow-up. We, we, uh, I don't think we heard from a pinky, a pinky unlocker. But we heard from we heard from people with various unusual fingers. Yeah. Maybe there was one pinky unlocker. I think we got at least one pinky unlocker. But they had a reason for why they used their pinky to unlock face ID. Oh no! This this I I wanna I wanna oh yeah let me let me give you the details here because now I remember. Uh, we heard from one pinky unlocker, somebody who uses their pinky finger to unlock their their touch ID on their Mac, and the reason given was if i'm if i'm robbed or compelled by bad people to unlock my mac oh that one i nobody expects the pinky and so i'll try it with the other fingers and it won't work and then they can't compel me to to log in it'll lock the it'll lock up and go to a password that was I, that was the excuse given by the pinky unlocker i didn't have the energy to give my response to this but now i'm going to give it here on the show if that's the situation you found yourself in you have more problems than oh uh, yeah if the computer can be unlocked or not. I know. I know. But we did hear from some some index, uh, some ring finger unlockers and a yep. thumb unlocker. And, yep. you know, I this is the diversity of the human experience. Thank you all for for doing that. But um, but one pinky unlocker. And I'm not sure I believe that person. But anyway, just some follow-up, some quick pinky unlocking follow-up <laughs> while we're talking about. Final question before we wrap up today's show. Barry asks, on the heels of your conversations of RSS apps during the upgradees, what RSS services do you use to drive these apps and why? So I resisted for a very long time, but I recently bought a Feedbin subscription. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want a web interface. All of these things are basically like web interfaces for RSS, which I don't want. I use NetNewsWire. Um, I also primarily just use it on my 
iPad, so I don't really need syncing. Although every now and then, if I open it on my Mac, I was disappointed because, you know, it doesn't sync and I've added some subscriptions on my iPad and they don't come to the Mac. I What I really want is for them to just add an iCloud sync for my subscriptions for NetNewsWire. And that would solve the problem. The reason I signed up Rita for this service sync, by the way. at all, mm-hmm. um, the reason I, I signed up for uh, Feedbin mm-hmm. was I wanted to use their email gateway because ah. I subscribe to a bunch of newsletters and I don't mm-hmm. want to really read them in my email client in the morning. I want to read them with all my other articles in the RSS feed. And they do that. And so that's that this. I'm using. That's a good feature. feature. So, so all of those newsletters that I subscribe to now pop in as feeds in NetNewsWire um, thanks to Feedbin. Yeah, I've been meaning to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. I use Feedbin too because when I wanted a service, I asked all my friends what they used and they all told me they used Feedbin. So I signed up for Feedbin. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much everyone I asked used it. Uh, and so that was what I went with. Because I was using something called Ino Reader before. And what I don't like about Ino Reader is after a certain period of time, they just mark an article as read on your behalf. And I did not like that. So I went with Feedbin instead. If you would like to send in a question for a future episode of the show, just send in a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, or you can use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord. Uh, I would like to thank Smile and Squarespace for the support of this episode, and also for our members, you can sign up at GetUpgradePlus.com. Thank you so much for your support if you do that. If you want to find Jason online, you can go to SixColors.com, and he is at Jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. Jason hosts many shows at The Incomparable and here on Relay FM as well as do I. You can find uh, many shows if you go to relay.fm slash shows, not just stuff that me and Jason produce, but we have many fine programs here at Relay FM that you may enjoy a new one to add to your queue in 2021. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. Goodbye, Mike Hurley.